Sometimes we pick up static, we change wires, and we figure that's going to fix it, but it doesn't always. You know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've come to cherish some of the simple things in life, like maybe a smile, or laughter, or a hug, or a sunny day, or a playful puppy, someone telling me they love me, even cutting the grass. Of course, I would say, wait until about August and ask me if I'm still loving cutting the grass that much. But another thing I've discovered is as we get older, for many of us, we have a deeper faith. And I still have my moments where my faith can falter, though I look forward with complete confidence to the day that I'm going to meet Jesus face to face. And, and another thing that's gotten stronger over the years is my patriotic spirit. I appreciate the freedoms that we have in America, and as a man of faith, I believe I'm called to speak out to guard those freedoms. America isn't perfect, but we still have reason to be proud. And part of that patriotic growth in my life has been the result of spending time at the College of the Ozarks. Well, nothing's going to work today. Um, so what you need to do, guys, oh, there you go. Okay, cool. Um, I've talked about the college in the past because I'm, I'm so impressed with their mission. This college is unashamedly Christian. They are incredibly patriotic. And it's free. It's free in the sense that the students work at the school to pay their tuition and even their housing. They graduate debt-free, and maybe the rest of the colleges in our country and the universities could learn something from them. The school offers a wide variety of classes and degree programs, and one class has caught my attention, and I spoke briefly about that class last year, and the class is titled Vietnam 101. In this class, young adults learn about the Vietnam War, or conflict, as it's often called, and some of them even get to take a trip to Vietnam with the men and the women who served there. It's life-changing for the students, and I'm told it's also life-changing for the veterans to go back there and to share their experiences. I've read the book that's based on this class, and I recommend it. And as I read this book, there was one battle that stood out. It's a battle that actually shaped the early part of the Vietnam War. It took place in the Adrang Valley at Landing Zone X-Ray. The battle is also a topic of a book and movie titled, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. The book was written by Lieutenant General Hal Moore and Joseph Galloway, both who lived through the battle at LZ X-Ray. Now, I'll tell you, if you want to watch the movie, I've seen it a couple times, it's very difficult to watch. But I want to share something from the book's prologue with you this morning. The prologue says this, another war story, you say? Not exactly, for on, on the more important levels, this is a love story, told in our own words and by our own actions. We were the children of the 1950s, and we went where we were sent because we loved our country. The writers then went on to add, they said, another and far more transcendent love came to us unbidden on the battlefields, as it does on every battlefield and every, every war that man has ever fought. We discovered in that depressing, hellish place 
where death was our constant companion, that we loved each other. We killed for each other. We died for each other. And we wept for each other. And in time, we came to love each other as brothers. 305 soldiers lost their lives in the Ladrang campaign, and many more were wounded, and countless more had unseen wounds. And so on Memorial Day, we remember all the men and women who gave their lives for their country. Some of you know all too well what that means. Others of us, though, are clueless to the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, and we would do well to remember and honor the men and women who served and died for this country. They made the greatest sacrifice. Now, when it comes to sacrifice, though, our faith knows the greatest sacrifice that was ever made. Jesus gave us life on the cross. He gave everything. And so today, we're going to take just a few minutes to look at Jesus' sacrifice and our duty in response to the gift that we received. Jesus' words that you heard earlier in John 15, 12 through 17 are going to provide our foundation. Now, if you are here last week, you might remember last week we talked about some gospel basics. Well, this week we're going to start out in somewhat similar of a fashion. Because as we said last week, repetition is good. Jesus began our passage by stating, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loves us. It's a fact. Nothing can change it. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says it this way. It says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. See, Jesus loves us with a love that is so powerful that we can't fully understand it. We can try. There are times when maybe we can grasp it at its highest levels, but the depth of Jesus' love for you and for me is incomprehensible. It's immeasurable. It's all-consuming. I've heard it called the reckless, raging love of God. See, God's love can be called reckless in a good way because he loves sinners who have rebelled against him sounds reckless. It's raging, which means that God's love is unstoppable, it's protective, and it's possessive. We belong to him. We are his children. The Apostle Paul added that nothing can separate us from that love that we have in Christ Jesus. The old classic movie, Forrest Gump, actually provided a, a, a glimpse of what deep human love looks like. Now, if you know the movie, you remember the love that Forrest had for Jenny. And I've got a few quotes from Forrest that demonstrate just how much he loved Jenny. He said this, he said, I don't remember being born. I don't remember what I got for my first Christmas. And I don't remember anything about my first outdoor picnic. But I do remember when I heard the sweetest voice in the wide world. Another time he said, I'm not a smart man but I know what love is. And this one I think you all know. From that day on, we was always together. Jenny and me was like peas and carrots. 
forest that I've never named a boat before, but there was only one I could think of, the most beautiful name in the whole wide world. And this is my favorite. When forests have once again rescued Jenny from herself, she said to him, she said, Forrest, you can't keep doing this all the time. And Forrest replied, I can't help it. I love you. Jesus can't help you either, because can't help it either because he loves you. Think of all the times that Jesus has rescued you. Think of all the times that Jesus has forgiven you. Think of all the times when Jesus held you when you thought you were all alone. When you talk to God, he declares that your voice is the sweetest voice. Jesus knows your beauty. He knows your name. He knows everything about you because he created you. And that is the love of God. In love, Jesus also taught us. He said, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is the greatest teacher that we will ever know. He's taught us about life and love and sacrifice and heaven and how to be reconciled to the Father and so much more. And Jesus not only teaches us, he becomes our friend when we trust in him. But the problems are, we don't listen. We aren't interested. We disagree with what the Bible teaches, and so we turn our back on God and go with the flow of culture. Jesus once said, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's an excellent question. And something needs to change. If we trust that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and he is, we need to learn from him. We need to obey him. And it's that simple. It's that straightforward. And not only, though, can we learn from Jesus, we need to recognize that Jesus chose us. Of course, we make a decision to trust, but we are chosen. Jesus said it very plainly. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 states, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You know, growing up, I was always taller than most of the other kids. I had some athletic ability. And, of course, I was also pretty clumsy. Sometimes, though, when a sports team was chosen at recess or at gym, I was one of the first ones picked. Other times, I was a little closer to the middle, and I was blessed to never be chosen last. I always felt bad for those kids who were the last ones picked. I got to tell you, though, also, I was a teacher's pet. I was a good kid who followed the rules and paid attention. And what that meant in gym class is that I was often, often selected by the gym teacher to choose my own team. It was a privilege. You could select who you wanted to play this, the game with. And typically in sports, you chose the most athletic kid first, right? You also chose your friends. Now, you might know I'm a bit of a softy, and I even was back then. And that meant that sometimes, not very often, and certainly not often enough, but on a rare occasion, I would pick a kid normally chosen last earlier in the process. 
And I still remember to this day the smile of that chosen kid when he or she was still picked and there were others still standing around. It didn't always help us win and sometimes caused issues with the others on the team, but it was good. Jesus chose you. Might not have been the smartest. You might not have been the best looking. You might not have even been the most faithful. But he chose you. Jesus saw something in you that perhaps others missed. God wanted you on his team, and that's why you're here today. It's called predestination. It's the truth of the Bible. God is sovereign, and his plan, down to the minutest detail, will happen exactly as he planned it. And that even included you being here today. But the Bible does also declare that, or state, that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so we respond. We make a, a decision. And both are true. And it seems impossible. It's good to ponder how God is sovereign and everything happens exactly the way he planned it, but yet we're responsible for making decisions. But I got a warning for you. If you think about those two things too much, it might make your head blow up. And it's one of those things in the church that can lead to arguments that nobody's ever going to win. And so just be thankful. Be thankful that you were chosen and that Jesus laid down his life for us. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave Jesus to die for us. Jesus went voluntarily to the cross. 1 John 3.16 reads this. It says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. It's the greatest gift ever given. It was the greatest sacrifice ever. And not only did Jesus suffer terribly on the cross, he also took the weight of all of our sins, all of our sins, on himself. Think about it this way. Do you remember ever feeling terribly bad about something that you did? It was horrible. You regretted it. You couldn't undo it. The damage was done. You could ask for forgiveness, and maybe the person or persons that you hurt would forgive you, but maybe they wouldn't. And the whole thing felt bad. Perhaps you didn't sleep at night, or you lost your appetite. You felt worthless. Maybe you wish you could have a, a mulligan, you know, another chance to do it right. It just weighed you down. Well, take that feeling that you might have experienced and multiply it by a billion billion, and you still won't know the weight of our sin that Jesus bore on that cross. We can't comprehend it. His was the ultimate sacrifice. And so we respond. We realize that we have a duty. We can never repay that debt that we owe Jesus, but we can live a new life in Christ. Our duty begins with obedience. In our passage, Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus said he appointed us to go and produce lasting fruit. Now, lasting fruit is what we do that shows people the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. It's doing God's will in our life. And when we do that, Jesus said God will give us for whatever we ask for in his name. 
Now, we hear that a lot of times, and we think, this is awesome. I can ask God for whatever I want. Well, what Jesus was saying there doesn't mean that God is Santa Claus. He's not going to give us whatever we want. But what it does mean is that God's going to provide what we need to do his will. We're Jesus' friends. A friend of Jesus has received grace from Jesus and in gratitude seeks to obey Jesus. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A few verses later, Jesus continued, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then Jesus ended our passage by saying, This is my command, love each other, and boom, he dropped the mic. Our duty is to love one another. 1 John 3.11 reads this, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Later in the same chapter, it tells us how we should love. John writes, little children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed. In other words, in action and in truth. In John, 1 John 4.19, we're told how to love, or how we're able to love. We love because Jesus first loved us. We love our neighbors as ourselves. We love our enemies. We love those who are far from God. We love all the people that God has put into our life. And when we do that, we realize that true love sacrifices. Verse 13 of our passage states it very clearly. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know, there's a lot of ways that you and I can fulfill our call to duty. Sacrifice is always going to be involved. Sacrifice takes place on the battlefield of the world's wars, but it also takes place in our homes. When soldiers returned from Vietnam War, they didn't receive a hero's welcome. There were no parades, there were no celebrations. Instead, they often faced anger. Some were spit on, they were called baby killers. These men and women volunteered or were drafted to serve their country. They gave everything, many gave their lives. Our call of duty, one of our calls of duty is to honor and to thank all those who served. We remember those who gave their life for our freedom. But we've got another call of duty, and it's our family. It also includes those who have become our family. Because you know what? There's a war raging in our country. We saw a horrific battle in this war several days ago. Children and teachers lost their lives in Texas. In the aftermath, our nation will fight over guns, will fight over mental health, security measures in school, and, and many other ways to try and stop that from ever happening again. The war may seem worse today than ever. I don't know if that's true, but I know that the war has always been going on. When sin entered our world, the war began, and it won't completely end until Jesus returns. And what's so sad about that is our kids are often the ones caught in the center. Our families will always be impacted. We have an enemy. We have an enemy that the world 
chooses to ignore. And his name is Satan. He uses whoever is willing to perpetuate his evil. He deceives people. Satan will cause many to trade the truth for a lie. And so many become his minions of evil. Sometimes they massacre kids and teachers. Other times they bend or ignore God's truth to fit their own desires. Satan wants our kids. He wants our grandkids and any other kids in our lives. He wants to turn them from God. And after a week like we've had, it might seem if Satan is winning more battles than he's losing. But we know that in the end, Satan loses. He's already lost. But the fact is, is that we still face battles every day. And so relying on God, we do our best to limit the number of those who become Satan's casualties. Our weapons against the devil are obedience to God, loving others, and selfless sacrifice. Now, how those weapons work is going to look different for each one of us. You know, for example, there might be a mom who gave up her career, her free time, and her sanity to raise a family in the faith. It could be a husband who leads his family in faith, who brings them to church every Sunday, even when he'd rather be doing something else, like maybe sleeping in. Or there's the grandparent who prays daily for their grandkids. They read the Bible to them when they've got the chance. They also might risk life and limb by getting on the floor to wrestle with their grandkids. Other calls include the teenager who stands up for his faith in the classroom. It could cause him to be ridiculed. It might cost him a poor grade on a paper. But he knows he has to stand up for Jesus. Might be the young man and woman who resist living together and having sex before marriage because each of them want to honor God. Their friends think they're weird. And they are weird in a, in a very awesome way. They know their decision honors their Heavenly Father. Or there's the businessman or businesswoman who holds to their Christian morals. They put God first, family second, and their career third. They could make more money if they bent the rules. They could make more money if they maybe reordered their priorities and put their job first. But you know what? They refuse to do it. And when they refuse to do it, they're setting an example. They want Jesus to shine through them. Jesus said, this is my command, that you love one another. It's our call to duty. It's time to fight the good fight of the faith. It's time to stand for Christ, to love for Christ, and to give our lives to the one who showed us the greatest love. Amen. If you're able, please stand as our worship team.